You are listening to the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show, all about real estate edition. Shining a light on the movers and shakers in the real estate industry. The home builders, developers, realtors, and suppliers making it all happen. And now, here are today's hosts. Good morning and welcome back to the All About Real Estate Edition. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my co-host and friend, Carol Morgan. Before we kick things off, we do want to thank New American Funding for being our 2020 show sponsor, our ninth year on the air. It has been great having them as a partner this year, and we're grateful to their support of this fine show. All right, good morning, Carol. This is going to be a great conversation. Cool guy doing some cool work. I'm looking forward to it. Kick us off, please. This is going to be a lot of fun. I had the pleasure of moderating a panel with Ed on it a few weeks ago for Green Prints. So um, we are joined today in studio by Ed Akins. He is the Interim Department Chair of Architecture for Kennesaw State University. Welcome, Ed. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. We do appreciate you making time to join us. I know you're a busy fellow, so grateful for you to swing by. Ed, before we get into the work of your department, uh, take a few seconds. Tell us a bit about you and your background. Uh, name's Ed Akins. Grew up in southeast Georgia, down near Savannah, and went to Georgia Tech for undergraduate and graduate degree in architecture. I got exposed to teaching there as a teaching assistant, and it kind of skewed my professional path in a very exciting and good way. I practiced and taught for a while. I was lucky to work with Smith Dally Architects and work on some renovation of existing buildings for adaptive reuse in Atlanta for years after graduation. And then I also started teaching when I was working with them. They were very open to allowing both the academic and professional realms to mix. And it definitely informed my future and informed my view of the world and how we operate within it. Uh, Great firm. About 2009, I started at Southern Polytechnic State University, teaching university, and it merged with Kennesaw State University several years ago. And I was teaching full-time at that point and recently was appointed interim chair of the Department of Architecture. That is super exciting. What a great background. And to be interim department chair, tell us what's your main focus in that role? What does that kind of look like on a daily basis? Well, in the land of the pandemic, it is a challenging role for anyone, anyone having to deal with unknown conditions, unknown future, unknown past. It is difficult in this period of time to run or work with any organization. And so I'll stick with the primary vision and the primary work to be done here, which is looking at what our curriculum is doing to create leaders within the built environment and make sure that our college, which is the College of Architecture and Construction Management, encourages collaboration, which has to occur in the field, and produces leaders within our NAB accredited program of architecture, making sure that the quality assurance program, which is the NAB accreditation, allows us to graduate students in our five-year program who can then sit for the registration exam as architects and function as leaders in the practice of architecture. What are you excited about when when you think about, and you guys have just gone back into face-to-face teaching there and uh, as we record this in the middle of a pandemic, and that's got to be challenging in its own right, as you alluded to. But beyond that, what are you excited about as it relates to students in the future of architecture? It's got to be exciting times. It is. It is. I'm excited about the design problem solving. It's related to that problem you alluded to, the pandemic itself. 
trying to solve the problem of opening a department that is experiencing record growth while we're trying to minimize face-to-face time and keeping a low-risk environment for everyone involved at every level. And so what I'm excited about is that our curriculum continues to be questioned in a way that keeps us innovative and moving forward with the developments that are occurring in practice, having an advisory board that is heavily rooted within practice within the region, and knowing that our region is continually growing and has leaders of the built environment headquartered here and leaders in the areas of sustainability headquartered here. It is a resource that other universities, other colleges do not have the luxury of and cannot take as easy advantage of in terms of collaboration outside of the silo of education. And that's extremely exciting, as well as the students. Students are absolutely amazing. They are resilient, they are patient, and they have taken to the idea of design learning that we introduce and design thinking that we introduce all the way through the program understanding that that can be applied to multiple realms within the built environment, whether it's single-family residential, all the way to hospitals, educational environments, and very complex governmental structures or other, other areas of practice. So it's so inspiring to see the variety of interests, the variety of students, the diversity of students flourishing within environments that are difficult and challenging. Yeah, it's interesting. You've touched on a number of topics that I want to visit, sustainability being one of them. But, you know, as you talk through your students and the change in the environment and the things going on, I just can't help but wonder what conversations are going on in the classroom related to how COVID is going to change architecture and change design moving forward. That's great to think about because we have some alumni actually thinking about that. Patrick Chopson's one of our graduates. He developed a program called Cove Tool which allows for analysis of buildings for sustainability kind of on the fly with design. It's integrated with the design process. So it's rather fluid. And one of the elements that he's introducing to that program is social distancing as a measurement device that could be implemented into it. And they, I think they recently released a version of that or an add-on to that program that contributes to thinking about our internal environments and how we can maintain safety. There have been multiple documents issued by the AIA that guide the construction of buildings in a time of maintaining indoor air quality. The building here, modifications were made for the HVAC system to increase outdoor air intake and to increase the health of the interior air conditions, as well as occupancy. I think how you program and how you occupy a building is critical in this time. But it has to extend. I think the, the thinking has to extend and it is extending into public spaces and how our cities and our dense urban environments are thought about as well. And our faculty have sat in on a few of the coordination meetings so far this semester. And some of the projects that are being assigned to our students address these public spaces as well as internal spaces and full-on programs that are addressing the COVID-19 conditions in the built environments. It's always been fascinating to me how those in architectural design kind of roll with the times and evolve the thinking to what's going on uh, from silly little things that you wouldn't think about but are critical. For instance, I live in a high-rise building, and 
modern structures now have to accommodate for the fact that most residents get 25 Amazon packages a day. So they got to accommodate the shipping for that. They got to accommodate the storage of that and the management of it, the distribution of it. That changes things. Not to mention what's going to happen now as a result of this pandemic. And now it's going to completely force you guys, and I think in an exciting way, to rethink all this stuff. It's it's exciting times. Drilling down further into of interest to, to our audience in multifamily and single family homes. Any thinking there about where this is going and keeping those resilient and efficient? Oh yeah. A lot of thinking in that realm. Resiliency, efficiency, of course. The mayor issued the one Atlanta call to action for our entire region, I think, to address affordability, not just the city of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's a call for equity within our built environment, inclusion in our built environment, and awareness that we need to make sure that all people can be housed. If we can provide shelter for people, then other things follow. And it's that idea that if we can be inclusive in the built environment and in our architecture and in our cities, then we begin to have empathy. We begin to understand the position of others. And so it moves into a societal realm rather quickly when we start to get our architecture and our urban environments correct. And one thing I think that's really innovative that's coming out of several directions, I would say, is that not only affordable housing is being prioritized in our city and our region, but also the reduction of parking, the reduction of auto-centric design thinking. And when you think about it in the multifamily realm, yourself experiencing living in a dense urban environment or you know, multifamily space, the idea is that when a developer is looking at a piece of property, they have to accommodate that auto-centric lifestyle in the form of a parking deck and a podium. That then drives a majority of the land planning, of the massing, of the aesthetic, and of the resultant space, which would be streets, public plazas, parks and whatever's left over, right, in the public realm, the rights of way. Well, the thinking now in cities and the innovative thinking that Atlanta is pursuing is that what if that parking isn't required? What if our zoning can change and say parking isn't required and we can focus our developments around transit Mm -hmm. with transit-oriented development? And by doing so, then we can get greater efficiency out of that infrastructure and that system. And our sidewalks will be used more and storefront retail will be used more. And you'll pass more people each day than you do typically in a face-to-face relationship. Now in the pandemic, that face-to-face is at a distance, (laughs) but it's still happening. And even when connections are occurring six feet apart, they're critical to the human condition. If we can encourage those connections to occur, even if we're trying to increase distance and safety, that's extremely important because you see people who are different than you You see people who are just like you and just seeing and interacting with people and not having control over who they are. You know, you didn't invite these people to a Zoom call. You didn't invite these people to (laughs) your Facebook page. Instead, you have encountered them by chance in the public realm. And that's the beauty of public space. Now, when we start giving up these podiums, giving up these massive amounts of our land and the money that we put into these projects, we start giving up the car. And taking that money and investing it differently, then we are getting value and we're getting quality and we're getting resilience. Once you have those things and you have people passing each other and having these chance encounters, then you've got community that's being built 
And you have people that begin to defend that community, defend those buildings, and defend their public space. And that makes a city and environment truly dynamic and resilient, more so than just technical add-ons and technical strategies for sustainability and resiliency. Yeah, it's just so much more to think about now. And it's so true, you know, we do a lot of these interviews and just talking to people about companies that have already told their staff that they're working so well remotely that they're not going to go back to the office. Mm-hmm. So it really is going to change the face of many downtowns and even the suburbs in many areas where there's office parks related to what is that land going to be used for and how much parking will you need? And I mean, I know just for me, I think that my car, I've driven it a quarter of what I usually drive in a year and the years, you know, over well over half over at this point, you know, three quarters of the way over, you could even argue. So I think those are going to be interesting topics to continue to explore and to see how, as we truly start to come out of this pandemic in 2021 or whenever that is, maybe sooner if we're lucky, right? I keep Mm -hmm. hoping, you know, how things change or don't change back. Yeah, we have to emerge differently. I mean, uh, otherwise you're not learning from experience, right? And so being exposed to these conditions, we really have to take them for what they are, embrace them, learn from them, and see how we can come out of everything in a much better place. And that's everything that I've been telling to every faculty and every student since we started the semester, is that we must innovate, we must think of what we can take that are best practices from all of this and move Mm -hmm. forward. So I don't want to go back to reducing the outdoor air intake. I want to see how we can keep the same MERV filtration, same high quality of air here, and also some flexibility in the schedule. It was really difficult to explore flexibility in a schedule of an academic curriculum midstream until you're forced to do it. We're right. asked to leave the campus physically. We're asked to go remotely. Mm-hmm. Back last year, we had a few adopters of online teaching, but now we have close to 80%, 90% of our faculty fully embracing it as a strategy and learning new tools and learning new ways to interact with students to maintain a studio culture And just like I was talking about the culture on the street, the culture in an academic setting is equally important. And maintaining that through virtual means as well as studios, which we've had to run with small groups, uh, 10 or less for our studios, meeting infrequently to maintain cleaning protocols and separation of everyone. But it's we have to come out of it better. Even our studio interactions, we are doing a face-to-face critique with a student. We're making sure that we don't go over 15 minutes with them. I joke with my with the faculty and I say, you know, it's going to make us better at our job. We're going to be to the point. We're going to ask for an action. The student can then continue upon that action in the studio environment and we can walk away. Mm-hmm. And not only can we, but we need to and we must because we haven't been able perhaps to maintain six feet at all times. And it's going to make us better teachers. It's going to make us more direct and more focused in the way that we are forming these interactions. I think it's a great thing to come out of this whole process. New American Funding is committed to delivering home loans on time while providing five-star service. Their 14 business day close guarantee and fully underwritten pre-approval gives you an unbeatable one-two punch impossible for sellers to ignore. For more information on New American Funding, Call 678-898-3540. That's 678-898-3540.
People have to, I mean, there's a lot of hardship that's coming, a lot of challenges coming as a result of this pandemic, but it's a tremendous opportunity to completely rethink things. And I hope, yes. I hope in countless ways, and I hope people are taking advantage of that opportunity. It's a great time to do that. Oh, yes. I think linked with the parking issue and the idea, just think about airflow in buildings and back to multifamily. When you think about a single family residence, it's, it's fairly easy to get a lot of airflow through the building, cross ventilation in a multifamily building because you're building a podium, you're covering a certain amount of area. And then on top of that, you build typically a double loaded corridor, hallway in the middle, loading off each side. Once you get rid of the parking, then you potentially can develop smaller pieces of land. Those smaller pieces of land, when you begin to extrude the buildable area, may create narrower footprints of buildings, which then might allow us to do single loaded corridors more efficiently in a developer model. Once you do that, then you can get cross ventilation through a multifamily building, similar to how you can open up and get greater air quality through a single-family residential structure. And so I think the typology of housing could be dramatically changed as we do multiple things that are innovative in our cities. And, you know, at the same time, we may have a good consequence of airflow quality and the built environment and uh, indoor air quality that can be uh, improved as a result of it, right? Yeah. So it's all linked together. Right. Yeah. Our conversation has been largely centered around the pandemic, but we also need to be thinking about long-term climate responsive design. Any, any mm-hmm. thinking there? So true. I think density is a huge part of the answer, and it's been questioned when the pandemic came along. I think we cannot shy away from it. Uh, I think we have to stay with the rationale of density, but density can take multiple forms. It's measured by dwelling units per acre, so it's measured based on housing. So housing itself linked to the usable piece of land is the unit of measure we use for density, and there are multiple models to that. If you look at Serenby and the Chattahoochee Hill Country south of Atlanta, it's a very efficient use of land using transfer of development rights, and it introduces a variety of housing types for those who are comfortable with those different scenarios. So we can't assume that all people will live in the same type of density or the same type of dense urban fabric. It has to have some variety, just like people do. By introducing that variety, you introduce different socioeconomic groups. You introduce, again, that chance meeting of someone unlike you, and you increase empathy. And so long range, if your designs are inclusive, if they provide for a variety of uses, variety of individuals, then... You're starting to tackle sustainability, and in that way, you're starting to tackle climate change in one of the realms that we need to be attacking it. There are multiple realms where we have to attack it. When you look at the larger-scale multifamily buildings and you look at a housing unit in there, you typically, in a double-loaded corridor, you only have the one face of your building facing outside. So that's 25% of the wall surface. And of that, it's probably the smallest wall surface in terms of its exposure versus the demising walls between your neighbors, those being larger wall surfaces. So if you think about that relationship to the outside in those types of buildings, it's really important that we do get that envelope correct on those buildings. But the surface to volume ratio is totally different than in a single family residential structure. So if you're building those, that envelope, that assembly that surrounds you for human comfort is really critical to get right. So you're not wasting energy or losing energy out of the home and that system. So the responses are different based on scale and the way in which we live. 
And again, not everybody lives the same way, but we can live in more intelligent ways. And those intelligent ways, I think, are leading us towards preserving green land, green spaces, preserving the whole reason you may want to live in a suburban or rural condition. You should want to preserve that land and not just disperse one house on a certain formulaic piece of land. And that's why I brought up the Chattahoochee Hill Country down in Serambias. That transfer of development rights was transformative because of the way that it makes us rethink suburban development. It makes us think about it as a hamlet strategy, which is the term they used when they were going into that design, and concentrating the density that could have been spread across a large area, but concentrating it and then letting it play out almost like a transect of higher density to lower density until you finally get pastures and fields and the very reason you moved out there in the first place. So this idea of preservation and respect of those spaces plays into a strategy towards a better future. Wish it was a model everywhere, right? Because if it was, then it wouldn't be unique or it wouldn't be a one-off strategy. It needs to be adopted wholesale, I think, as a method. And once it is, then you'll see more diversity in those who inhabit those spaces because it'll be more common. Yeah, I'm encouraged by some of the new developments we see coming around Atlanta where buildings are to be you know, designed more back to back so that they open onto, you know, common space. And whether it's your front door that opens on your common space or the back door, everybody's got some nature going on around them right. and you know, just more thoughtful design. And then yeah. just the focus on energy efficiency. Everybody seems yeah. to be focused more on that, which is a small part of the equation when it relates to sustainability, but it does help to preserve our natural environment and our resources as it relates it to coal and all of that. So mm-hmm. um, right. get some cool stuff out there, though. I'm seeing some kind of mini projects that are looking at Saren B as examples as yeah. they start designing. So a couple of those coming on board in the next year or so. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great to hear. It will be exciting to watch and see how this continues to evolve. All right. Well, Ed, I hate to say it. We're uh, running behind. We got to wrap this one up. Before we let you go, should anyone need to connect with you and learn more about your architecture department? Uh, where do they go? So we're on the web at kennesaw.edu. You can look up that primary website. We're the College of Architecture and Construction Management. So that's C-A-C-M dot Kennesaw.edu. Got it. And then find us there. <laughs> Ed Aikens, the Interim Department Chair of Architecture with Kennesaw State University. Ed, it was great to have you. Much more to talk about. We'll have to get you back on the show, but thanks for joining us today. That'd be great. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed it. Yeah, well, so did we. All right, well, that wraps this week's All About Real Estate Edition. On behalf of our show sponsor, New American Funding, my co-host, Carol Morgan, I am Todd Schneck. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for tuning in and listening, and we'll look forward to seeing you again right here next week. We'll see you then. Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio is sponsored by New American Funding and made possible by Denim Marketing, the publisher of Atlanta Real Estate Forum, Atlanta's favorite source for real estate and home building news. Denim Marketing is a comfortable fit, like your favorite pair of jeans. Denim Marketing tailors marketing strategies to meet your specific needs and niche. Try them on for size. They will work to create a perfect fit for your company's marketing program. Call them at 770-383-3360 or send an email to info at denimmarketing.com. For more information on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio or to inquire about being a guest, contact info at atlantarealestateforum.com. 
Check out the radio show by visiting atlantarealestateforum.com or by listening to the show on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, we'd sure appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio.